Hey guys, Chris Avery with you on a Week 7 edition of Chargers Weekly here on the new Chargers Podcast Network. Coming up, a Chargers Beat Writers Roundtable. We preview this Sunday against the Titans and what the Bolts need to do to turn their season around in Nashville. Speaking of Nashville, Eric Bacharach of the Tennessean, he gives this week's opposing view. But first, CBS Sports' Evan Washburn. All right, my first guest will be on the sidelines for Chargers-Titans on CBS, along with the great Ian Eagle and Dan Fouts in the booth. Very pleased to bring in Evan Washburn to Chargers Weekly. Evan, it's always great having you on, man. How you doing? I'm doing well, Chris. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You know, I imagine when you looked at this game in early September, you probably thought that both of these teams would be 4-2 and two instead of 2-4, and four. and suddenly this becomes a pretty pivotal game if both teams want to stay in the mix, at least, in the AFC playoff picture. Absolutely. And look, desperation is never fun for the teams involved, but I think it can provide for a great environment for a game, for, for fans and for us covering it. And it feels that way. I think the way the AFC is currently constituted, uh, two and four doesn't put you in a position where your season is anywhere close to in jeopardy. But if you're to drop one or two more games, then, then it becomes really challenging, depending on the division you're in, obviously. But both of these teams, more than just getting a win, I think just proving to themselves that, that this is a season that can, on the field, look like one that they'd at least put all that work in in the offseason. And specific to, to L.A., this is as talented, when healthy a team as there is in the league. And I know expectations were high and I'm sure are still high internally, but they need to see it on the field because the last two weeks have been ugly. It has. And, you know, slow starts have plagued the Chargers throughout the course of a season. But really, these last two weeks, Evan, they've been outscored 38 nothing in the first half. You go down 17 nothing to Denver, 24 nothing to Pittsburgh, and you fight your way back into it, but it's just too little too late. Coach Lynn talked about it this week. Execution. It just needs to be better on both sides of the football. Yeah, and I've thought a lot about that because, look, slow starts is one of those things that it's a reality you can't ignore when you're preparing for a game and, and trying to build up a idea of what each team is and what has got them to this point. And as you laid out, that's an obvious concern and something that has to be uh, corrected. And execution to me is often a crutch word that the teams and players and coaches can use because it's, it's being honest, but there's so much more depth to it. Yeah. And, and just watching back some of these games, as we talked about desperation on the side of LA for the Tennessee Titans come Sunday, the teams that the Chargers have faced when they faced them, to me, were the more desperate team early. Mm. And I think that that created an environment where then, as the Chargers developed that level of intensity, urgency, desperation to continue to hammer that point home, it's too late. And, and just having had the Pittsburgh Steelers the week prior as they lost to the Baltimore Ravens and really their season was in complete jeopardy at that point and and the Denver Broncos coming in at 0-4 I, I think it's almost as if the Chargers can pop in the, the tape of the last two and, and look at the what their opponent did and the way that they came out in those games and say that's what we need to do in Tennessee on Sunday. What's interesting about that Evan is I think the Titans probably feel the same way being shut out last week in Denver making a quarterback change both of these teams are going to have a degree of desperation to them just because of how the last few weeks have shaken out. Yeah, and something's going to have to give. I would say that the Chargers have the luxury of, and while I know they're still managing through a number of injuries, they're not trotting out a new quarterback. And while Ryan Tannehill's played a lot of football in this league and won't be overwhelmed by the moment, there's just going to be a reality that he's not going to be in, in as comfortable a rhythm as Phillip Rivers and Keenan Allen and Melvin Gordon and this offense could be in, Hunter Henry obviously as well now. Um, and, and I think that gives them a luxury that the Titans, as desperate as they may be, just won't have to start a game. You know, you observe all these teams around the league and everybody has injuries, Evan. It's really no excuse. But I, I look at this Chargers team and two glaring weaknesses right now is just, you know, not having a guy like Mike Pouncey on the offensive line is a big deal. But really from the start, not having the energy, the leadership, albeit his second year, of a Derwin James on defense. Just what he brought, not only with his play, but just the way he really took command of that locker room and and just the energy that I think is really infectious 
with that defense. There's a personality that comes with Derwin James that permeates throughout the entire team. And you can look at it from two angles. There's the schematic angle and the luxury that he provided Gus Bradley because of his versatility. And while there are talented players that, that remained in that secondary and still do heading into this game, they just don't possess the ability to do as many things as Derwin James did and does. And I think he just covers up problems that are going to occur over the course of a game and a breakdown. It reminds me a little bit, and it's getting ahead of myself, is uh, of things Ed Reed would do, mm. where it, it, if there was a breakdown, because of his gift, whether it be uh, intellectually or athletically, he could cover those things up, and you saw flashes of that with Derwin James. So couldn't agree with you more. And then, and then Mike Pouncey, arguably even in more, more impactful because of the communication side of things up front with a line that was still dealing with the loss, um, at least at that point, of Russell. Okun and and the run game correlates to a lot of the things that the center does up front. So, I mean, those are two massive blows. That's why I think these next few weeks for the Chargers are so crucial to try to kind of claw back to 500 and slowly but surely get guys back. You get Hunter Henry back last week, 100 yards, two touchdowns. He means a great deal to not only the, the passing game, but also the running game and the ability to block. And then, you know, hopefully you get Russell Okung back here in the next week or two. Hopefully you get a, a Melvin Ingram back, a Darwin James back, and Adrian Phillips back, who, who means so much on special teams and is another leader. So, you know, it's a 16-game season, Evan. It's like, all right, let's break this down. Let's just try to claw back to 500 and, and hopefully get some healthy bodies back. And you've seen this over the course of time in this league, is that the team that, that often makes a run to the Super Bowl unless the New England Patriots, just because they seem to have a, a, week, a yearly um, company retreat there. It's the team that's the healthiest, really, as you hit that week 12 mark and then starts to gain some momentum and really find an identity. And look, you have to put yourself in a position where by week 11 or 12, you still are in the mix. But, I mean, living in Baltimore and remembering the, the run the Ravens went on in 2012, I mean, that was a team that in San Diego with the Chargers was, basically a fourth down away from not even making the postseason mm. and then Ray Rice goes on that run and then they go on a run to the Super Bowl and a lot of it had to do with getting healthy figuring out the right chemistry uh, of that roster in that moment in those moments and then and then they did what they did we've seen it um, with teams like the New York Giants in years past so to your point this roster can come together at a point that is most important for the eventual goal of any team heading into the season, which is the playoffs and the postseason, the Super Bowl. But games like Sunday in Nashville are the ones that are going to allow you to, to be in that position and, and hopefully be healthy with things to play for come uh, middle to late November. Evan, you guys had a treat last week. You had a first row seat to Mahomes versus Watson. And, and I look at Phillip Rivers going into his 215th straight start I know this doesn't matter to the Chargers this year, but just for you know statistical purposes, he gets 105 yards this Sunday. He's going to pass Eli and Big Ben in all-time passing yards, sixth in NFL history. I wonder if you could just speak to what you've seen from Phillip. As you watch some of these young guns try to kind of start to take over the league, Phillip's still rolling. He's not just rolling. I think he's, he's playing at a high level. I know the turnover numbers aren't where he or the team would like him to start the season. But just watching back the, the last couple games here and, and seeing those plays that I know Mike Vrabel spoke to it yesterday, where if you freeze it, he's throwing to areas where there's no one in sight. And it's obviously his anticipation, his trust, the chemistry that he's got with guys like Keenan Allen. He's starting to build with Hunter Henry, but he's still playing at a elite level. And that level of consistency and he's taken a beating over the course of his career and just as recent as, as last week. I mean, when he takes that shot from Stefan Tuitt in the first quarter, right on his throwing arm and his elbow, and then later in the game, there's a cutaway on Sunday Night Football, and you just see a massive bruise there. And I think not that anyone needed to know or uh, cement his toughness, but I, I guess I'm reminded of it each week on top of the, the mental gifts that he has, has and, and his way to – sort of manipulate a defense with his mind, some of the things he does at the line of scrimmage, and then his ability. I mean, I, I, I consider it a pleasure um, every time, mostly to, to sit and talk with him, because that's when I, I really get to enjoy everything that he brings. But obviously watching him play is uh, pretty fun, too. 
You know, these teams met exactly a year ago in London. It was 2019. What do you make of this Titans team this year, Evan? I mean, it's a it's an offense that has struggled mightily to, to score points, but I tell you what, their defense is pretty punishing and has kept them in a lot of games. Yeah, I would say that when I think of the Tennessee Titans, it's built around the identity, honestly, that kind of feels like what Mike Vrabel brought as a player and, and what he knows uh, in his time, whether it was in New England and then when he moved on to be a coach. It's, it's a team that's built around a really solid defense. It's got a lot of talent on that side of the ball. They've got a secondary that's, that's got players that can take the ball away, especially Kevin Byard. And then offensively, ideally, they would be a team that could run the ball and then utilize success in the run game to create chunk plays with play action. They've got some talented um, young wide receivers. A.J. Brown may look like a monster, the kid out of Ole Miss. Yeah. Uh, but their offensive line has been a real problem. I mean, Mariota, for all his struggles and the completion percentage is a concern, I think that's what eventually just put him to the sideline. But they're not protecting the quarterback, whoever's back there, and obviously that has a trickle-down effect. You know that. You're seeing that at times there in Los Angeles. But they've invested a ton of draft equity and some money on this line, whether it was Taylor Juan and his draft pick a few years ago and then $80 million last year. Jack Conklin at the right tackle, the top pick a year ago. Roger Saffold, they bring him in. So this is a unit that I think should be much better than they've been to start the year. But if that were to click, then I think this is a team that, as they seemingly often do, um, find themselves in that 8-8, eight and 9-7 eight, and seven range and, and fighting with the rest of that division to get into the postseason. Evan, final thing for you, more of a, a general question. Your observations through the first six weeks of this season, uh, I think there's been a lot of surprises, probably some status quo things when you talk about the Patriots and, and them just kind of rolling and business as usual. But uh, what have you seen throughout your stops each week this season? Well, I would say two things, and and one, it sounds cliche, but it just feels more the case this year than I can remember, at least if I used the last couple of years as reference points, but just the week-to-week nature when it comes to what we think we know, and then that's completely flipped upside down. I mean, I had Kansas City in week one, and it looked like, oh man, what they did to Jacksonville, that they're just going to re-rack this thing, and we'll see an arrowhead for the AFC Championship game against New England, and uh, hopefully it's not as cold. Um, but they've obviously come back down to earth based off of injuries and a defensive issue that's crept back up, missed tackles, all the things we saw in 2018. So they're sort of a microcosm of, I think, the fact that what you think you know is completely debunked the following week. And I I would even go as far as to say, I mean, you mentioned New England, the fact that uh, this New England team, while they sit where they do with a record that every team would love to have, they haven't played anybody, and that's the reality in terms of, an opponent with a with a winning record and, and, and p- possessing real challenge. I know their defense is special. I don't think that's going to change. But how they're going to solve the puzzle pieces offensively, that whether it's their injuries across the offensive line, the no Gronk and the tight end position that's so critical to what they want to do, no fullback that's big in what they do in the run game and got them to a Super Bowl last year, and the fact that the wide receiver position, whether it's Julian Edelman, or Josh Gordon, I mean, there's just question marks there. So there's always question marks in New England. They figure it out. But I, I went into the year and after a couple of weeks thinking, okay, it's New England and Kansas City, 1A, 1B, and then everybody else is kind of fighting for the rest. I, I, I feel less confident that that's the case sitting here now. And then the, the other point or other thing that stood out, and I don't really need to dive too deep into it because I don't know enough about it, but it's obvious the officiating and the penalties and all the, the discussion around it. Um, has seemingly dominated coverage, whether it be what we have to do in-game or things that are talked about after games. Yeah, and that's the last thing you want to talk about on a Monday or a Tuesday (laughs) morning is the officiating. Yeah, (laughs) and I don't don't know enough to know, and and people that have been around it or spent more time, uh, they seem confused. So when those folks are confused, then um, I really feel vulnerable when when discussing the topic, but it can't be ignored. That's just the reality. Evan, just to piggyback off of what you said, it's such a week-to-week league, and I think we get very reactionary after a win or a loss. Just going into the last two weeks, the the Broncos were 0-4, the Steelers were 1-4 going into those games for the Chargers. Both of those teams 
could have a, a big say in in a, a potential wild card situation here as we get to the the back half of the year. I don't know what Mason Rudolph's going to look like when he comes back into the fold, but that defense of Pittsburgh's is pretty punishing, and I think Vic Fangio's finding something in Denver. So we think we know through the first month of the season it could be completely different in December. I think that's. I mean, it, it could be completely different in in November, and and I think Denver is, is a great example of that. I I'd, I'd still be concerned with Pittsburgh just because the division's going to be, I think, down this year, and I think they'll have an opportunity based off of that defense and how they're getting after passers um, this season. But Mason Rudolph, even when he was healthy for that small period of time, looked like a young player that was triggering out the position. And we had the game, unfortunately, where he went down. And before he went down, you could see that there was things that were going to require some time to get to where that team could compete with a Baltimore team that looks to be solid this year and, yeah. and Cleveland, who's kind of Jekyll and Hyde. But I, I would I would agree wholeheartedly on Denver. They lost close games early. I'm just watching back the game they had against your Chargers a couple weeks ago. And uh, I think that when that defense clicks under Vic Fangio's um, coordination and then the offense creates the identity under Flacco um, I think that they're just going to be a challenge in that division. That AFC West which we thought was going to be really good going into the year but we thought it was going to be really good because Kansas City and LA were the two two of the top let's say five or seven teams in, in the entire NFL well now it's just you've got four teams that look like they might all beat up on each other That's right and it's going to be it's going to be fascinating, really, over the next several weeks to see kind of who rises in an AFC that looks like anybody could really kind of rise up and, and get those two wild card spots or, heck, even win a division. Evan Washburn, I always enjoy having you on the podcast, having you on the program, and uh, look forward to seeing you here shortly, man. You got it, Chris. Always good to be with you. Thanks for having me. All right, let's get to these questions, y'all boys. Yo, Jack boys, how do you get the girls? What does what it take to get the girls? <laughs> no fake energy. No fake. I hate fake Chargers fans, be sure to check out Dear Jack Boys presented by Pepsi and take all football celebrations to the next level. Whether it's a Hail Mary touchdown or a defensive stop on the goal line, when it's time to celebrate, it's time to crack open a Pepsi. Pepsi, a proud sponsor of the Los Angeles Chargers, reminds you to always be celebrating. All right, guys, to get this week's opposing view presented by Mercury Insurance, we bring in Eric Backrack of the Tennessean. Eric, I know it's busy times in Nashville. Thanks for joining us, man. How you doing? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me on. So, Eric, we got two teams currently two and four, and both obviously had higher expectations, I think, at this point. Let's just start with the quarterback situation in Tennessee. Ryan Tannehill's going to get the start against the Chargers. Is this something that you were expecting, something that you saw coming? Uh, it's hard to say that we we certainly didn't see this coming, um, you know, before this past week. Um, you know, the way things transpired in week six, the fact that we were in Denver, uh, Mariota was pulled in that game in the third quarter um, after throwing his second interception of the day. Ryan Tannehill came in after that. Um, and at that point, the offense kind of, uh, you know, finally had, had some semblance of a pulse once Tannehill entered. Um, before that, it was it was completely lifeless under Mariota. Um, you know, so given that, uh, you know, I think there was uh, maybe a slight expectation that, Tannehill would be the guy this week and going forward. You know, there was there was some thinking that, you know, maybe Mike Grable will give Mariota one more chance and, um, you know, just the way things panned out in, in Denver, maybe, you know, uh, Mariota is a little bit more uh, inspired a little bit. Uh, you know, he, he has that fuel um, coming off of, of a benching, but lo and behold, the Titans are rolling with Ryan Tannehill. And, and honestly, you, you would have to think that the offense can't get much worse than it has been the past couple of weeks here. You know, the Titans have scored just seven points in the last 10 quarters. So much of it uh, stems from the problems with the offensive line. Uh, they've a lot allowed a league-high 29 sacks. You know, so, so for as, as bad as, um, you know, Mariota has been, uh, so much of his problems and then the offensive problems can be pointed out from the offensive line. The receiver's not getting open, but... Ryan Tannehill is given the shot with the hopes that he'll, he'll be in a spot for this offense um, because they have a pretty good defense, uh, you know, top five in the league in points allowed. They're only allowing 15.3 points per game. Um, you know, so if they get something from the offense, anything, uh, the Titans could be in better shape. Eric, you mentioned it, 29 sacks allowed this season. If you had a blame pie, how would it shake out? 
I think the, the biggest chunk of the blame probably goes to the offensive line. I still think that's where all the problems start. You know, they brought in Roger Saffold, uh, former guard for the Rams. They, they plugged him in at left guard. You know, he was billed as sort of the top guard on the market this offseason. So, you know, the Titans, who, who struggled, by the way, um, with the t- interior of the offensive line last year, uh, they bring in Roger Saffold as an answer to many of their problems. They draft Nate Davis, uh, a, a right guard out of Charlotte. In the third round, you know, they, they plugged those two guys in there, and, and the expectation was they would be much better, um, but they simply have not been. Uh, you know, Taylor Lewan missed the first four games of the season with the suspension, so he's kind of, you know, had to get up to speed. Jack Conklin um, hasn't been great. He was an all-pro his rookie year, so he struggled really to get back to that form. You know, so I think right now the biggest concern for, for the Titans offensively still has to be um, on the offensive line. And then you look at the quarterback play, you know, I think Mariota certainly, um, you know, is, is guilty as well. Uh, you know, there was a couple couple instances last week where, uh, you know, I, I thought he left the pocket way too quick and, and kind of ran himself into a couple of sacks. And a lot of that goes back to sort of trust in the offensive line. And, you know, I'm sure there's a, a clock in his head that goes off that might be going off a little bit sooner just because mm-hmm. of how porous the offensive line has been. And he, he struggled this season with um, holding onto the ball too long. So, you know, I, I do think a good part of it is on him as well. And then, uh, you know, as I alluded to earlier, the, the, the receivers, the, the pass catchers, um, they've struggled to get separation, any yards of separation. And, and that, too, has contributed to the way things have played out. So I really think it's a deep and layered problem for the Titans. But, again, they're hoping that uh, by inserting Ryan Tannehill into the mix, that that gives them some type of spark. We look at week one, they beat the Browns 43-13. They had a, a nice win in Atlanta, 24-10. What were they doing, Eric, in those games that you haven't seen in the four losses? You know, I, I think, and, and Mario and I spoke about it after the, the win uh, in Atlanta in week four, is that they got they kind of started this blueprint uh, when it comes to how they were able to win those games, and that was, um, you know, number one, the pass game was working, uh, which which it hasn't been, you know, many of their losses. So so they were able to, you know, gain chunks of yardage on, on pass plays. Uh, they got ahead, which is key, because at that point you're able to, to get Derrick Henry up to 20 or so carries as he plays the lead. Uh, I think utilizing play action has been a really big strength of theirs when things are going well. Um, and, and again, you kind of use Derrick Henry as your closer, uh, you know, because he, he, he tends to get better running the ball later in games in the third and fourth quarter when defenses are a little bit worn down um, and you really see from carries 15 or so to, to maybe 25, that's really where he begins to rip off seven, eight yards of carry. Uh, and at that point, you know, the Titans are able to sort of coast to a win. So they're able to do that against the Browns, against the Falcons. That's kind of their blueprint. And things have obviously uh, gone very far uh, from sort of that, that, that blueprint, so to speak. Um, in, in these losses. Uh, but again, it, it, the way their defense is playing, uh, it, it does give them a shot, usually in, in most games. Uh, they haven't allowed it to the point to score more than 20 points a game uh, in any single game this season. So that defense is, is a really strong unit, and, and sort of the sentiment here in Nashville is that it's, it's being squandered because an offense, uh, because of this lifeless offense that the Titans throw out there every single week, and uh, we'll see if Ryan Tannehill could uh, spark that in any way. When you look at this defense, Eric, it's very similar to, to last year. And these two teams met in London last year, the 2019 Thriller. Uh, is there anything different about the defense that perhaps may be playing better than they were in 2018? Uh, you know, I think, um, like you said, it's, it's a very similar unit. I think uh, there's more uh, continuity there. You know, this is now the second year that they're playing under defensive coordinator DPs, who, uh, who is sort of, you know, one of the masterminds over there in Baltimore, um, you know, a, a few years ago when they were uh, playing really well defensively. So, you know, I think it's another year of, of that group coming together. Um, you know, you've got Kevin Byer, who, who this past offseason was uh, made the richest safety in, in NFL history. He's playing really well, has three interceptions. You know, he's come back short. I think you look at a guy like Harold Landry, the Titans drafted uh, in the second round last year, uh, he was, uh, you know, drafted to sort of be the successor to, to Brian Arakpo and Derek Morgan um, at outside linebacker, and both of those guys retired after last year, and they combined for all two sacks last year. So you just weren't getting a lot of production out of that 
uh, starting outside linebacker group last year. This year, Howard Landry already has, uh, I believe, it's four sacks after only having four and a half last year. So there's certainly improvement there. The Cranes are doing a little bit better with their pass rush. Uh, they had they added Cam Wake uh, this offseason, and, and he's been a big boost. Uh, he, he's been banged up and, and hurt past couple of games, so he hasn't been um, you know, quite an impact uh, player of late, obviously. Um, but he's still giving them a boost. We'll see if he suits up on Sunday. He didn't practice today, Wednesday. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. But, you know, I think the pass rush has improved, and that's been a big part of it. And, you know, they're just a really good team as far as keeping you off the board. Like I mentioned earlier, uh, they're only allowing opponents to score 15.3 points per game. Um, so, again, you know, this, this defense is really doing its part. It's, it's the offense where um, it's, it's just lacking severely. And if you get any production there, uh, the Titans should be a better team than they are. Eric, what are the Titans saying about the Chargers coming to town? Obviously, the last two weeks for L.A., they have struggled against the Broncos, who the Titans saw last week, and the Steelers on Sunday Night Football. But you still, you got Phillip Rivers under center. I think he's 7-1 all-time against the Titans. And some pieces on the outside. We talk about Keenan Allen, Hunter Henry back, Mike Williams, Melvin Gordon, and Austin Eckler in the backfield. Yeah, you know, I think the Titans probably think they stack up well in this one. Um, you know, for them, they're, they're looking at it as a, a get-right game against a struggling team. Um, you know, I know that the Chargers have underwhelmed too, but, uh, you know, I, I do think you, you kind of look at that, the recent history of these uh, of this series, and I believe the Chargers were for something like 12-1 and against the Titans going back to uh, 93. So, um, you know, this is a chance for them to sort of, you know, get on the right side of things in that regard. And, um, you know, I, I think for the Titans, a lot of it goes back to how their offense stacks up against the Chargers defense. Um, you know, I think that's going to be the big thing to watch, you know, especially if you're a, a Titans fan here in Nashville. Uh, it, it's really this offense come to life. Can it do anything? Can it man- manufacture, um, you know, some sort of uh, just general, you know, points when it comes to, you uh, running the ball, passing the ball, it really the, the Titans' problems on offense are, are the big um, sort of Achilles heel of, of their season so far to this point. So, um, you know, that, that's really what they're focusing on. They, they look at the Chargers as a team that um, is, is certainly beatable, more beatable than maybe they appear on the schedule to begin the season. Um, but really, you know, I think the Titans need to look more than anything else inward when it comes to their struggles offensively because, you know, they just they didn't they looked awful. They made a, a Broncos team that really isn't that good. They, they made them look pretty good last week. So, you know, I think the Titans' problems uh, go back to, to just uh, the offense and, and really the offense alone. Um, so we'll see how that, that changes or doesn't change this week. Eric, who are some of these under-the-radar guys on the Titans that you think could potentially impact this game? Maybe somebody that wasn't in the matchup last year or a rookie who you think may have a say in the game on Sunday. You know, I think I think week in and week out, the the, the answer for that for the Titans is, is probably AJ Brown. Um, you know, rookie second round pick, wide receiver out of Ole Miss, um, who's had a couple of really big plays this year for the Titans, um, and, and that's something that they were missing last year. That that big explosive uh, pass catcher, um, and, and we've seen AJ Brown do that uh, a few times this year, uh, where he catches the ball maybe over the middle, ten to fifteen yards out. And then really, the, the show kind of starts at that point. Um, you know, with, with his speed for how big a, a guy he is, he's um, he's pretty agile. He's, he's shifty, um, and, and you know he's got a lot of strength. So he's capable of, of a lot of big plays that the Titans didn't have last year. Um, you know, so for, for again for how bad the offense has been, he's he's been a, a, a bright spot to this point. Uh, so he's he's somebody that's certainly worth watching uh, this week. Eric, final thing for you. What do you think is going to decide this game? I look at a really key stat, I think, for both teams. The Chargers have gotten off to really bad starts the last two weeks. And the Titans, it looks like that's kind of the same deal with them. They've been outscored 37-17 to in the first quarter this year. So I really think whoever kind of starts this thing hot may have uh, the early edge in getting the victory. I agree. And, again, it goes back to sort of the – Titans blueprint for success. They would obviously love to be a, a team that could play from behind and do well from behind. But uh, you know, when they get ahead, that's really when things um, you know sort of move in their favor because they've got Derrick Henry, who um, 
you know, in, in wins, uh, you know, he's consistently, you know, rushing for close to 100 yards. The play action is working well and everything kind of down from there. And, and then in losses, you look at the stat sheet and, um, you know, his production just isn't there enough because they have to pass the ball more. So if the Titans can get ahead, um, which, again, I, I think with Tannehill, they've got a shot to do that. I, I, I think um, he certainly, uh, just with the way things are going with Mariota, he can only be an improvement because, um, again, it would be hard to be much worse. So I, I think um, if the Titans can get ahead with the defense that they have, I think that's going to be key. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the Titans at home, you know, despite being only two this year, they've been historically really good at Nissan Stadium. So I think, I think for them, that's the key. And I think for the Chargers, uh, I think I saw that they were, they've been outscored 38 to nothing in the first half, the past couple of games. So yep. uh, I, I agree. I think whoever gets, gets after that fast start, uh, that'll really uh, sort of loom large as far as who wins this one. It's a huge game for both teams in Week 7. Eric Backrack, Tennessee, and you do great work, man. Appreciate you spending some time with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right, guys, we know you love the Chargers, but you also probably love saving money, too. And Mercury Insurance can help you with that because Chargers fans save an average of $769 with Mercury. That'll get you great seats for the next game and jerseys for the whole family, too. So what are you waiting for? Get a quote today at mercuryinsurance.com. See how much you could save. It only takes a few minutes to switch, and it could save you a lot of money. Don't wait. Get a quote today at mercuryinsurance.com. Savings info based on 2019 California Department of Insurance Rate Comparison Profile 38A. Individual savings may vary. Well, guys, we're back with a roundtable. It's been a while. Daniel Popper, what's popping? The Athletic. What's going on? Before we start, I'd like to publicly apologize to Jeff for my ageism joke that I made against him the last time we did a roundtable. I, I think that was like a month and a half ago. I just want you yeah. to know that I haven't stopped thinking about it. I think about it every night before I fall asleep, and I wanted to p- say I'm deeply sorry, and I'll never make a joke like that again. Jeff Miller, LA Times. It was before the Detroit game. I think you <laughs> offered a, uh, maybe a Coney Dog suggestion uh, or something. I don't know. Given my advanced age, I don't remember this incident. <laughs> no, we were asking, I do appreciate. You're we asking yeah. about like like best places to eat in Detroit. Yeah, and oh. I was like, oh, he must have been in there in 1875, which was like wasn't a very well thought out joke. It wasn't creative <laughs> at all, and so. But you also said Greek Town, which is a, a perfect suggestion. I, I I thought so. The irony is, I ate it at Greek Town on based off your recommendation. So, all right, Th- thank you. So, so you're saying. There's a little, a little elderly advice yeah. can go along. Still got it. What I'm saying is you still got it. All right. Good. Gil Manzato, Southern California News Group. Guys, we have a great destination city Sunday, Nashville. So we, we can get into food wrecks. And I know Popper in his, his days of covering the Jacksonville Jaguars, been to Tennessee a few times. But let's just start on the field because the Chargers, they got to write their season on Sunday against the Titans, against a team with a new quarterback in Ryan Tannehill, Jeff. Uh, new quarterback again, uh, new quarterback um, last week, and that didn't go very well for the Chargers. So uh, this this team, right their season, you 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 said it. I mean, this is they got they're they're in, trying to save things at this this point, and they're they're pl- playing another team without a good record. But we've seen the last two weeks what's happened when they played teams at home without a good record. So they uh, if they if it, this team's not desperate uh, going out there su- Sunday, they're never going to be desperate. I think the Titans are desperate as well. Yeah, they're kind of the same position as the Chargers. Both teams have lost four of the last five games. And the Titans kind of have a similar feel to the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, they, we, Like Jeff mentioned, the quarterback changed. But they're front seven, and they have some key players in the secondary. That, that Titans defense is going to be a problem again for the Chargers. But there's good news finally. Russell Kuhn is back for the Chargers, so I'm, I don't know if he's going to play on Sunday. But he's practicing, so at least there's some kind of help coming up for the offensive line. Yeah, shoot, if if Russell Okun plays on Sunday, that would be an absolutely enormous uh development for the Chargers because they're they're struggling up front. They're struggling up front. They cannot get the run game going. They've been under thir- th- you know 35 or below in rushing yards the last 2 weeks. The, the yards per carry have been 2.23 yards. They've been the worst rushing team in the league over the last 2 weeks. Coincidentally, it's <laughs> it's been when Melvin Gordon has come back, but it's really the offensive line up front that isn't isn't opening up holes and, and they have to find a way to get it going. And it's going to be very difficult as Gil just mentioned, it's a really good front seven. Um, they don't let up a lot of rushing yards. You know, Mike Vrabel's got a really good unit there. So that's really the key to me is, like, can they get this rushing game going? And how do they do it if Oakham doesn't come back? How do they do it behind a really young, inexperienced offensive line? And whenever Russell does come back, 
you lose Mike Pouncey. So, you know, you, you get a pro bowler back, but you lose a pro bowler, a guy who means a great deal to that, that offensive line in general. So you're going to have to kind of re-gel across the front five. And I, I think just Coach Lynn talked about the execution. You just have to execute. You can't go down 17 nothing to a division rival. You can't go down 24 nothing on Sunday Night Football to the Pittsburgh Steelers. You have to find a way to start fast the Titans have had trouble starting fast. They've been outscored 37-17 in the first quarter. So I think the team who can get off to a quick start and kind of let your offense go from there, they're going to have the uh, the edge. Yeah, I, th- I think if you think about it, this team, I mean, they haven't led a game. The last two games they haven't led. They haven't led since they beat Miami. And I, I, it, to me, it just feels like if they can just survive the first quarter, and even if it's 0-0, zero, zero, I think that would be a win, and I, I, I just, I, I have a sense that they are just in a situation where they, they would, if they can just get ahead and sort of get back to feeling like we're, we're a decent team, we have to get some confidence back. I think that would help. But they, you know, the last two weeks we've seen it, the, the games have been essentially over. I mean, they, they came back in both, but these, those games were, were decided in the first ten minutes of the game, basically. Yeah, and for me, it's like I asked Anthony about you know, the, the whole starting slow this week. And he says it comes down to execution. But for me, it's like you got to come out with some energy. You got to come out with some juice. And the last two weeks, whether it's execution or effort or whatever it is, they just haven't come out with any juice. And that's why you see them going, going behind 14 nothing. You know, against the Broncos, it was the, the defense just came out flat and they were just getting scorched. Run game, pass game, down 14 nothing. Last week, it was the offense that didn't come out. And, and they look flat and you had the Phillip Rivers turnover and then obviously a deflected interception. But all of a sudden, they, as Anthony put it, they, they needed 30 yards, the Steelers did, to score two touchdowns and go up 14 nothing. I mean, you got to have both sides, all three units, really, special teams, defense, and offense, come out with some juice and play with the type of desperation that the Broncos and the Steelers were playing with and what you expect the Titans to play with. you got to come out and, and, be, and be desperate and play like you're desperate because you are. You're 2-4. and four. If you drop to 2-5, and five, you're looking at a very, very tough odds of making the playoffs. That's a lot of juice from Popper, by the way. A lot of that juice from Popper. Juice, yeah. orange juice, cranberry juice. <laughs> All that. Popper brought the juice to the table, <laughs> the round table. You know, but I think another reason it could be, you know, they're, they're getting guys back, Hunter Henry, Melvin Gordon. But these guys haven't been around in a month or two. And just kind of get those guys That's acclimated to execute, to get on the same page. And then Russell Kung, you know. That's a lot. I know they played together last year, but just being away, maybe it takes some time. So that could be part of the, the lag for the Chargers. You know, they haven't scored a point in the first half of the past two weeks. But, you know, if they go down to Nashville and they score in the first drive, they'll have a lot of juice, like uh, Popper is saying. I think they need some kind of positive right away. Wiz talked about it. I think, was it the first play of the game? Uh, like mm-hmm. a 15-, 20-yard yep. pass to Hunter? Yep. Y- you thought that that was going to be maybe the play that kind of gets them going. Maybe they score first. They're going to have to put that together. And I think the third game with Melvin Gordon, we've got to see something from Melvin, whether it's in the, in the pass game, if it's the run game, whatever. Get him in space. Find ways to get him the football, get positive yards, while also keeping Austin Eckler on the field and involved. It's difficult. It's difficult. I mean, I talked to Austin this week about sort of how how do you approach it because you're going from he was the number five player in football in yards from scrimmage for the first four weeks of the season, and now he he has 120 over the last two weeks, and most of those came on that garbage time drive against the Broncos. So how do you approach it? And what he told me is, you know, it, it's hard to gauge what the defense is doing against you without the snaps. You know. It, you need four or five rushes before you figure out, okay, this is how they're playing us, and this is what I need to do to combat it. And without those snaps, you have to make those kinds of reads and determinations a lot more quickly. And you can say the same thing about Melvin Gordon because he said it on Monday in the locker room. Uh, to, uh, Jeff, you were in there. You know, mm-hmm. He said, I'm not getting enough snaps. Running backs, you talk about it, it's not so much a rhythm, but that's sort of the word that you use to describe it. But it's having enough snaps to be able to determine, okay, this is what the defense is doing to me, and here is how I can combat, combat it, whether it's a certain type of juke, whether it's running a certain type of play. Um, you know, th- those are the things that running backs look at, and it's hard to do it. It's hard to gauge. It's hard to balance it out when yeah. you have two really productive guys um, and finding a way to get them both comfortable. You know, I, I see that, and then I also see a guy like Justin Jackson, who in limited touches was number one in the NFL in yards per carry uh, with limited snaps, too. So I guess it cuts both ways, but you're right. I mean, you have to find a way to get 25 involved, you know, get him feeling good about just being in the mix. And then also Keenan Allen, teams have made a concerted effort. To, to get him kind of phased out of the game. And, and if the Chargers can get number 13 back involved, coupled with Hunter's uh, return, you know, maybe you can get some points on the board early. Yeah, I, I think, you know, other teams have two backs and they seem to make it work. And, and other teams... Titans I mean, have two backs. Yeah. Two and, very different backs. And, and I think part of it last, you know, the first week when Melvin, Melvin was back, it could have just been he hasn't played. Last week, 
I think the way that game went, they were in trouble right from the beginning, and they had to go away from whatever they were going to do because they fell so far behind. The offense was falling apart. So I think that has had part. You know, that's that's certainly part of it. But in, you know, in the case of Keenan, I mean, these uh, you know, there's other teams that have great receivers, and they do they get them the ball even when they're doubled and their the teams are focused on just stopping them. So they've they've got to figure this out, and they've got to. It, I mean, if Keenan Allen can't be catching the ball twice in the game and with this offense, I mean, I know they talk about the weapons they have and all that, and they do have some guys who've done some things. But right now, nobody's really doing anything, and you've got a you know you've got a guy who was great for the th- first three weeks. And they've just, whether it's what the other teams are doing, I'm sure that has a lot to do with it, but they've gone away from him. And, you know, that guy was unbelievable for like three weeks. And now he's just, he's, he, he, the last couple of games. He was blowing the league away, Jeff. Oh, I he, mean, it was, he it was, was unbelievable. On, he was Yards, on, uh, catches, targets. targets, everything. Yeah. And, and they've, it just stopped, you know, and then obviously in Miami, he did, he, I think he had five targets, but I mean, that was a game they, they were in, in control of basically. And a they touchdown really called back though, too. I mean, yeah. that was yeah. a, that was and it shouldn't have been, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, and neither did Keenan. He, uh, he, he, <laughs> he certainly did but, not. But the last two weeks, you know, he he's been a non-factor. He's a, if you didn't know any better, you wouldn't know he was a as good a player as he is. If you just, if you just walked in the stadium the last two weeks, you, he wouldn't he didn't stand out at all. You didn't know anything about him because he just wasn't a, he wasn't featured. Well, it's, it's kind of funny that the first month of the season we keep we kept saying why is there too much Keenan now mm-hmm. there's not enough Keenan we need that healthy balance of Keenan <laughs> yeah. yes. but I guess they just can't find a game where they can't they, they all click at the same time like last week it was Hunter Henry who which is kind of amazing to come back from a, a knee injury and then kind of get involved right away but after Hunter Henry there was nothing there um, early Austin Eckler was a lot of Austin after that not much. Uh, I know they're hobbled with Mike Williams, and then they lost Travis Benjamin, Dontro Inman, so you need guys like Jason Moore and all Japan to step up. But you're, you're just waiting for that game where the Chargers are all clicking at the same time. And it happened often last year, but this year they just can't get on the same page, and I don't know if it's injuries or, or whatnot. That was always the concern, though, because they were going to Keenan so much. I mean, he was targeted, what, 17 times in that game? You keep, you know... Teams are going to adjust. That's how the NFL works. Okay, Teams adjust. They find out what you do well. They take it away, and you have to find out another way to beat that team that you're playing. That's how the NFL works. So what they did is the team saw that Keenan was absolutely torching opposing defenses. They take him away, and now what? What can you do? And you need guys to step up in his stead. That's what you need. And, and you saw a, a little bit of that with Hunter Henry last week, but you need receivers to step up. You need Mike Williams making plays out there and being a big part of this offense because once he starts making plays, then you s- sort of have to shade him, and that opens up things for Keenan. But the one thing with Keenan that, that you have to keep in mind is you, you talked about how some of the great receivers in the NFL are able to beat double coverage. That's always sort of been the knock on, on Keenan Allen, that he's really good in the slot. He's an exceptional route runner, and he's going to beat man-to-man most if not every single time. But when he's double coverage, is he that next level elite receiver that can still beat double coverage and make plays? So far this season, he hasn't been able to do that. He hasn't been what Julio Jones is. And, and, and Julio can beat double coverage. It doesn't matter how many guys you throw at him, he's going to get his. Um, so it's really, it's about other guys stepping up and making sure that, they, hey, I, Mike Williams saying, hey, I'm a threat. And now you have to account for me, and that's going to open things up for Keenan. That's what I think is fascinating about this week is we didn't really know how much Hunter was going to play and how effective he was going to be. And 100 receiving yards, two touchdowns. I want to see this week, is Keenan going to continue to be doubled? Mike Williams had 11 total touchdowns last year. I don't think he's had a 100-yard game in his career yet. So is Mike Williams going to get more involved? Is is Hunter going to take away some of those double teams that Keenan was getting? Uh, is Melvin going to become the Pro Bowl back that we've seen in the last two years? Is Austin going to go back to what we saw the first three weeks? There are plenty of weapons on this team. It's all about, I think coaches, he hit it on the head. It's about execution because you have the pieces. I, I know the offensive line is beat up, but you do have the pieces on the outside. That's what it comes down to, though. I mean, it comes down to offensive line play. Like, you can have the best skills players in the whole entire league, but if you don't block, if you don't, prevent the pass rush, and open up holes in the running game, it doesn't matter how skillful your skills players are. Well, that, that's what we saw last week. I mean, how many times did they, you know, what did, what did Melvin have, eight carries? And did he have any space at all in any of those eight carries? I mean, he, had, he had space on a couple, and then he had one where he slipped where he could have. Yeah. Could have so, but it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't anything huge. It's just the, the turnovers are just killer. Yeah. I think uh, Rivers had, you know, he has five in the last two weeks, two interceptions in each game, and, and when you're given defense a short field and you're falling behind, you can't really get to execute on offense because now you're changing the game plan and you're kind of just trying to play catch-up. So I think 
just the turnovers and falling behind and trying to add new pieces and having injuries, all that kind of snowballs. And then now you're kind of you're facing which which you are now two and four record, and you kind of miss opportunities with two two teams at home that you should have beaten. And now you're kind of falling behind. But at least in the AFC West standings, the, the Chiefs lost two games, so they're not. It's not panic time yet. But they they, they kind of I kind of feel like they blew an opportunity and went two games at home. Six turnovers the last two weeks. There were stretches last year where they didn't turn the ball over, and they were successful. I mean, to win 12 games, there was a formula to it, and, and not turning the football over was certainly a big piece of it. Defensively, listen, we've seen this team play really well in spurts, and I don't think you can discount, and I've talked about this every week, the loss of Darwin James is gigantic. Yeah, 100%. Adrian Phillips, too, is gigantic. Uh, Melvin Ingram, you see the pass rush, how much he means to the pass rush, obviously. But... At the same time, you have enough guys on that defense to shut down a Titans offense led by Ryan Tannehill this week. Yeah, you should. But, I mean, going back to what you're saying, like it's hard to put a value on how important Derwin James is to this defense. Because, obviously, he's an incredible athlete and a playmaker, and he's around the ball, and he's tipping balls, and he's intercepting, and he gives him the big hit. But getting guys in position, the communication on the field. Derwin is such a vocal guy that he is so important in getting guys in position, and that's been a big issue when the issues have come up for this defense it's been guys out of position it's been wide open receivers um and even missed tackles but you talk about derwin getting guys in position a and then b being the guy that's going to make the tackle you know you line him up you line him up anywhere jatavis brown's missed tackle derwin's not if that if he's in that position derwin's not missing that tackle and, and so yeah and he also he's, he's a pass rusher he, he attacks the quarterbacks yeah. and you, you you're missing a pass rusher pretty much essentially with derwin james yeah yeah and I, I think the uh the first game that Teamer played, Roderick, Roderick Teamer, who is a great story, and he, I mean, he, he he's he's a good player. He's an NFL player, undrafted, you know, but he is an NFL player. That game, there were probably three or four plays. If Derwin was in there, they would have won that game. Yeah, you know, and, and just in that, you're watching the game, and it's it's that obvious. And uh, th- I mean, if you just substitute those, you know, one for one player, they probably they, and, and you replay the game exactly, they would have won that game. Final thing. One guy you're watching against the Titans. We'll start with you, Popper. Ooh, one guy I'm watching. I have to go back to what I was talking about earlier, um, Mike Williams. You know, like you said, he hasn't had a 100-yard game in his career. You're waiting. This was sort of the season where everyone was waiting for him to become that guy. He dealt with the knee injury early on, some back spasms that have sort of limited him. But now he's feeling a little bit better. He's feeling healthier. Keenan's getting doubled. All the attention's on 13. It's time for 81 to step up and, and make the plays that they were expecting him to make. He's starting to show flashes of it, but put together a comprehensive game and put up the type of 8-catch, 120-yard game that they think he's capable of putting up. What about you, Jeff? Well, I would uh, I would say uh, Michael Badgley, just in case he plays. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to say uh, Keenan Allen because I'm writing about Keenan. So I want to make sure that uh, <laughs> that people realize, anyone who happens to be listening to this, that you might want to go to LATimes.com and read. I'm going to be writing about Keenan here in the next couple of days. But no, seriously, I do <laughs> it's want... It's called a plug, Jeff. I, yes, exactly. I do want to... Uh, I, I, I am interested to see how this, how this goes. And I, I think... Uh, um, you know, he certainly is at a point where he's, uh, you know, we've seen it. He's, he's starting to get frustrated. There's no question about it. And uh, as, the, as the whole offense is, I'm sure. Then they, and he, uh, you know, he wants, to, he wants the ball more, as they all do. And that, I think that's a good thing. And I think one of these games, he, he's just too good to not make plays and do things. We, we saw, we've seen him do so many times as we saw him do just a few weeks ago. So It's hard to envision three straight games like this, right? It is. And, uh, you know, and, and obviously it's not just him. It's, it's all got to, it's all got to flow and it's all got to work and everybody's got to do their job. And I think it, 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 assuming that happens, I, I, I could see him having a big game. And I, uh, um, so I, that's the guy who I think is uh, going to be a good barometer for this one. Gil? I'll go with the quarterback. Phillip Rivers has been two games of kind of subpar for him. Uh, and then you have two bad games. You start hearing people say, oh, this is the decline of Phillip Rivers, 37 years old. Uh, is, is he going downhill? I don't think that's what it is. I think, you know, is, you know, I know people are big on the age, but I think he's still a great quarterback. But it's just the turnovers. If you, if you, keep, if you, if you keep that ball in your possession, you're going to have success. But even those, even those opportunities where he has chances to kind of win the game, I know he did it in overtime against the Colts, but – Detroit had the interception there uh, to Darius Slay last week. An interception there, and then he got he got frustrated at the end. You saw signs of it. So I think you know for Rivers, just have that bounce back game. Get everybody on the same page, and just do what you've been doing for the last sixteen years. And 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 in your hometown, kind of. I know yeah. I know Nashville's pretty close to his hometown, Alabama. So 
you know, go home, have a good game, and you know, get this team back right, right on track. But one thing to add, though, like you say, do what he's been doing for 16 years. Like Philip Rivers has always been a turnover-prone quarterback. Like well, that's that's kind of always what he's been. But the last so you're two gonna kind of yeah. figure it out. The, right, right. Them. Yeah. Under under Lynn, I think the first two years yeah. there has been a concerted effort to not turn the football over. Yeah. yeah. But that's I asked Wiz about that today. I was like, how do you how do you get a guy that's been this way his whole career to change the mentality? And you know, is he susceptible to those past tendencies arising, even if he is making a conscious effort? Which I think is what you've seen over the last two weeks and in all, all along the season because the interceptions have been mostly bad decisions. I mean, the one he threw from the two-yard line was – it was hard to see what he was looking at. The one to Darius Slay, it's like, do you need that in that situation? You're down three. You could kick a field goal. I'm just saying, like, I don't know if it's that far away from what he's always been. You guys all went offense. I'll go defense. Joey Bosa, three sacks on the year. That doesn't illustrate how good he's been, you know, and, and what he's had to do, I think, in the run game and everything. But when you have a team that's allowed 29 sacks, this is an opportunity to get to the quarterback. The Chargers need a, a game where they can get to the quarterback multiple times. Maybe they force a turnover. Maybe they get a strip sack. Maybe they do what the Steelers and the Broncos did to them the past two weeks. And I think if Joey Bosa can get that rolling, maybe that sparks the offense. Maybe the defense needs a play or two to spark the offense. Who knows? He's been so close, too. I mean, he's been so close. Miami, he was so, yeah. so close. Even the last two weeks, he's come up. He's come very close. So th- It's always tough with pass rushers because you're like, oh, he's not putting up the sack numbers. But if you watch, go back and watch the tape. I know it's cliche. So but like, good. He's, he's so good. Like, he is really close on a lot of plays. And he is, he is affecting the quarterback. You know, there's a reason that he's being talked about the way he is. Like, he's playing at a very high level. He's just not getting home. And, and what's interesting is that if... If Bosa is getting double teamed, then you do need those other guys in the line to, to get to the quarterback. You need Chenna to have the type of game that he had against the Broncos. You need Justin Jones yep. and Jerry Tillery and those guys on the interior to get to the quarterback. So I, I agree with you. Bosa's a, a big name, but it, do, it does fall on the other guys, too. Yeah. Where are we going in Nashville, guys? Hattie B's. Right there. <laughs> Hattie B's. Hattie B's. Yeah. Hot chicken. Hot are, you chicken. Going, are you going to that, Jeff? Uh, I'm going to go where the, the kid tells me to go. <laughs> You'll eat that? You'll oh, eat yeah. Hot chicken? Oh, right. oh, yeah. yeah. If, 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 if you're recommending it, I, I know it's going to be I'm going. My, my parents are coming from Charleston. They're, they're making the drive. We're going to go Hattie B's, mm-hmm. listen to Got some it. live music wow. yeah. on Broadway. Is it Broadway? Broadway, yep. yeah. On Broadway. Yeah. I'm excited. Okay. Honestly, also what's great is the um, there's a museum there, Rock and Roll Museum. Oh, yeah. That's right. Country Is it country music? No, or? it's... Um, I can't remember the country artist's name. Like Johnny most, Cash? Yeah, Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash Museum. <laughs> the most famous musician. I promise you I listen to music, guys. Well, guys, this roundtable was fun. Nobody was made fun of. Nobody was belittled. No. no. We'll try to do Not better yet. next time. Yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned. Oh, I love it. All right, fellas. Thanks. Yep. All right, guys. That's going to do it for us. A big thanks to our beat writers, plus Evan Bacharach and Evan Washburn for joining me. And, of course, thanks to you all for listening. Remember, be sure to download and subscribe to the all-new Chargers Podcast Network, Wherever you listen to podcasts, we are now on Spotify and SoundCloud, too. So two other places to get the Chargers Podcast Network. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy the game this Sunday as the Chargers look to get back on track in Nashville. And until next time, I'm Chris Havery.